Welcome everybody. Happy Monday. This is Rates and Barrels. I'm Al Melchior in my usual spot. Uh, Eno Saris, with a different background, a different location, reporting live from Florida. Eno, uh, good to have you here on, on the East Coast. Um, we're going to talk about what you did there in Florida last night, uh, your ale labor draft. Um, so we'll we'll dig into that momentarily. We're not talk about everything I did last night. That would be that would be bad. Yeah, that'll be a separate episode. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is just going to be the ale labor stuff. Sorry to disappoint everybody. <laughs> so before we we get into that, uh, just a reminder that yes, the 2023 fantasy baseball draft kit on the Athletic is live. Has been live. You can access it on the Athletic, and you can access it for two dollars a month for the first year by going to theathletic.com/slash/rates and barrels. Look for that. Look for that deal. Gets you not just the draft kit, but of course everything that is there um, uh, on on the site, which is a lot of great stuff. So you know, let's uh, before we we dig into the the specifics of what you did uh, for the twenty twenty three draft. Now you were you were the title winner, right? You were the champion for twenty twenty two. Am I? remembering that correctly and uh points champion i've never I've, i have the points record for labor i had 11s and 12s in every category it was pretty awesome whoa that is domination so yeah, i think a 108 or something wow wow well all right given that that dominant performance uh were there things that you did differently things that broke the right way whatever what lessons learned from that season if any did you take into last night's draft Mm, every year is different i mean uh there were a couple actually this is the one big one i think is when i do i so i prepare uh, for this this an al only league and one of the things that i do to prepare for an al only league is to uh describe the bottom of the player pool and and what i just have i have a tab on the excel sheet that's uh dollar days you know what does the dollar days look like what are the what are the worst players in this draft look like we all know you know what we'd like about the best players what do the worst players look like and what i found was i had a list uh that was maybe 10 strong of uh guys that i thought would be dollar outfielders that would play that not necessarily every day that's asking a lot of a dollar player but like a lefty and a strong side platoon um since the draft is over i can share some of those names with you um but uh just generally i was happy with how uh, robust this list was kyle stowers robbie grossman kyle isbell is i think the uh is is the default center fielder there with drew waters hurt drew waters himself was a interesting dollar guy because you can you could uh, with these rules are a little bit complicated but you can stash il guys a little bit better we have unlimited il so buying drew waters uh for like a buck or two and then putting on the il was part of my strategy i didn't do it but it was one of my strategies that i was thinking about jake myers Michael Taylor, Nick Maton is playing a lot. Uh, and then Matt Veerling is playing a lot in Detroit. And Matt Veerling is more exciting, I think, than Nick Maton, but Maton also has 3B eligibility. So, you know, and then Gavin Sheets. And I even think uh, Rymel Tapia might make the Red Sox. So, uh, there's even a couple more. Trevor Larnock doesn't have the role, though. Uh, there's there was just more uh, sort of prospecty might make the the roster there. I mean, to contrast that with my list of first base dollar guys, uh, 
Franmil Reyes, Ryan Noda, Nick Prado, and Kyle Manzardo. Kyle Manzardo, we're not even sure is going to play this year in the major mm-hmm. league. So uh, that was the entire list of my dollar. I mean, you guess put Dermis Garcia on there who didn't get drafted. But, you know, it's, uh, it's a very small list at first base. Even smaller, it's short. And so I leveraged that uh, to make a plan that was uh, to, last year I had Stephen Kwan in reserves and Josh Naylor for a dollar in a similar way. And so this year, uh, my dollar outfielders, um, due to this strategy, ended up being uh, my, Matt Veerling for two bucks, Kevin Kiermeyer for one, and Aaron Hicks for one. And I think just due to the contract status of a guy like Kevin Kiermeyer and Aaron Hicks, the the way that they uh, were uh, recruited to their teams respectively, the amount of contract money left on Aaron Hicks' contract, I think those two guys get the bulk of the playing time at least the beginning of the season. And uh, in an honor league, playing time is everything. So when you're talking about dollar players, I mean, you're are you talking about that they actually went for a dollar in the draft or this is who you had projected as a dollar player? Um, it's, uh, it's people that I thought would go for a dollar or would go in reserves. I mean, it's, uh, it's a, it's not it's something to nail down very easily. I mean, Matt Veerling went for two, so it's not like a, a, a strict number. Gotcha. It's just another way of saying dollar guys is late guys, you know, it's just like, you know, you know, late round guys or whatever. It's, it's the, the guys that I thought would go, basically it's the guys I thought would go for a dollar that would be worth more than a dollar and, uh, would be useful to my, for my plan. So I, I was going to start with kind of an overview of, of your team, but since you focused in on the dollar guys and that was a, a key part of your your approach, I did have a question about uh, Veerling and Matan uh, because yeah, I, I saw that you you rostered them both and I've looked at them uh, as la- late, late rounders uh, for some drafts. And I just think, God, that that move from Philadelphia, that really doesn't serve them well. But again, we're talking about dollar players in an AL-only draft, so you can't ask too much uh, of these players. But do you target more that type of player who has a role and can accumulate some plate appearances? Or do you get more speculative? Or is it more of a blend uh, when you're looking at your end game players? Uh, in terms of guys that I'm putting on my major league roster, I don't do a lot of speculate. I don't, I'm not trying to do a lot of speculation. Um, I'm always tempted to be like, Oh, let's check it like a $3 prospect and, and then put them on my bench and, and go onto the waiver wire. But the waiver wire in these, uh, are awful. Uh, the waiver wire in an AL only league, this is a 12 team AL only league. The waiver wire is just putrid. And so, uh, since the waiver wire is so bad, I am targeting guys that I think will play. Uh, Veerling is having a hot spring. He looks great. I, I don't know how much of that matters to me. What matters to me is that he has 13 plate appearances, um, and that's as much that's one less than Spencer Torkelson. You know, so um, you know, I I have uh, I think he's going to make the team. Maton, I think, uh, only has he has 13 plate appearances. To uh, yeah, this, he has the same amount of plate appearances. He's not playing as hot. Um, I think there's just a little bit of a role for him on this team because he plays the infield, um, and they lost guys like Harold Castro and uh, Heimer Candelario, and uh, so for me, Nick Maton is their backup shortstop and may even be their starting third baseman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's two really important places on the roster that should require plate appearances. And that's what I'm trying to buy is plate appearances. 
Okay. Okay. Well, if we look kind of more globally at how you put this team together, uh, it seems to me it was more of a spread the wealth approach, but did you have an intention going in in terms of how to allocate your money, um, how you just went about building the team? Uh, well, this is the first time I ever bought a $40 player in A-Labor. I think it's uh, like my uh, 10th or 11th year. Um, and so Jose Ramirez was a, an interesting buy for me. One thing about auction dynamics is that almost always you have a value sheet and then the first round players go for a premium over that value sheet. It's, I don't know, something about the way auction calculators work. They just never, you know, bake in that premium for the top players. And so you can just, there's a lot of people, uh, who play the middle and I've done this a lot where you just like, I want like three second rounders, you know? And I'll just buy those guys at my prices and I won't have a first rounder. The problem is I think the premium top end talent sometimes just goes beyond, you know, it's yeah. just, it's just worth it. And for me, uh, Jose Ramirez went at a $3 premium over my values and three to $4 is the normal first round premium. There were people that went for more than a premium of that. And, uh, and it was the first player that I threw and I, and I won him and he was a third baseman who stole bases and hit homers. It was like, it was pretty much perfect. Um, the only problem is batting average and he's a lefty who pulls the ball a lot. So I'm hoping for like a 275 batting average for him this year. And, uh, so it was a, that was, that was a little surprising to me. I hadn't meant to do it. And in fact, I kind of wish I didn't in some ways because Raphael Davers went for $30 and he actually went under the values I had. So no premium, you know, Larry Schechter didn't have to pay premium, just got him for 30 so sometimes patience is a virtue. I did not exhibit a whole ton of it in this draft. <laughs> Though that, I'm just surprised to hear you say that because, like I said, with the exception of Ramirez, I didn't see any, um, you know, splurging above and beyond. And, and even forty dollars for Ramirez to me just struck me as again baking in that three, four, sometimes five dollar premium. Uh, that seemed very reasonable to me. I was actually sort of surprised that Aaron Judge also went for forty. I think they were the two most expensive players. Yeah, I thought he would go after I got 40. I thought he would go for like 41 or 42. That's what like Mike Trout in his in his prime was going for 42, 43 dollars uh, in draft. So I thought we had that situation with Judge, but maybe uh, one thing I did notice uh, relative bargains in the draft. I, I did a sort between my values and what they ended up going for. And the relative, the, the biggest relative bargains are all uh, the, the top three are just really obvious. Jacob deGrom, Tyler Glasnow, Lance McCullers. Big injury uh, uh, discount on those guys. And uh, you don't even know to trust your values on guys like that. And yeah. it also, it's it's so like the team, Jesse Roach put Jacob deGrom and Tyler Glasnow on the same team. Um, and so that's just, uh, it's kind of insane, but it's awesome. And if it works out, uh, he could win in his first year in the league, which would be, uh, I, you know, I'd be very jealous of that. It took me 10. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm, but, I'm rooting for, uh, for Jesse because this is the guy who put DeGrom and Joe Musgrove together uh, in TGFBI. So there you go. He's, he's comfortable <laughs> with risk and, and it's possible that we all, we think we have a bunch of healthy pitchers and we are not, uh, clear eyed about our own health risk. Um, but, uh, the other two, uh, the only other two sort of first round talents that, um, that didn't have a premium on them. So the biggest, biggest, uh, biggest values at the top end were, uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr., 
uh, for I think 35 instead of the 37 on my sheet and Rafi Devers for 30 instead of like the 33 or 34 on my sheet. Uh, I think the Vlad Guerrero Jr. uh, thing is just a very temporary blip that someone took advantage of uh, because the news on his knee is pretty good and he's just going to rest a little bit. And if he misses the WBC because of it, it'd be great. I think Mm -hmm. it'd be good for him, you know? So sometimes you have these like short-term values on guys uh, because of very recent injury news that's not actually as bad as it seems. Yeah, yeah. You can... Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Take advantage of that. I'll ask you about a few other players just from the draft uh, at large, you know, since we've brought up a few, um, you know, I already mentioned Judge, but um, Astoria Ruiz at $15 really surprised me. Did that surprise you? Uh, is this, uh, you know, a evaluation that we should take take to heart going forward in our own drafts? There was a generally, uh, there was a premium on steals uh, generally. Um, uh, for example, I had Tim Anderson as a $24 player. He went for 27 I had Randy Rosarena as a $27 player. He went for 30 uh, Marcus Simeon, 26 29 So there was basically like a $3 premium on guys that would steal a bunch of bases. Uh, that's why I was happy to get Cedric Mullins at 28 uh, because I had him at 28 so I didn't pay the premium and uh, and got my uh, got my numbers. But um, Story Ruiz, on the other hand, I the value sheet had a twelve dollars. Somebody paid fifteen for him. Uh, you know that's the sort of going premium for steals in this draft. And he you he obviously has the upside to you know win you the category by himself. Like that's the kind of speed Story Ruiz has, and we've seen it in the spring where like. You know, uh, fielder's choice gets him on first, and he's in, he's on second after two pitches. Uh, he is definitely going to uh, to to steal as often as possible. I just I don't have much confidence in bat. See a sort of two forty uh, batting average, two eighty OBP, and like a three three eighty uh, 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 slugging at most, maybe three seventy five. So. That's not a very good player, and uh, it's not someone I want to bet on. I, I have my biases that I like to bet on good hitters, and I'm not sure he's a good hitter. But uh, he will steal a bunch of bases, so I can't I can't hate on that price too much. Well, yeah, I, it, it surprised me because I have probably uh, no more and maybe less faith in Ruiz as a hitter uh, being able to hit major league pitching than what you just uh, described. And you can't get the steals if you don't get on base, as, as far as I, I'm aware. 
So yeah. uh, yeah, right. <laughs> that that's well, just, like I said, Fielder's choice, and he's on first. Right? <laughs> there you go. So maybe that's the ticket for him then. Uh, all right, let's uh, talk about uh, a pair of relievers and. There's a number of these situations uh, where it's not necessarily clear who's going to be the primary closer or if there's going to be a primary closer. And actually, there's another one of these situations that you drafted into that we'll, we'll get to in a while. But the the Mariners, Andres Munoz uh, went for 13. Paul Sewald went for 10. On one hand, I totally get that because Munoz is, by the numbers, the better reliever. And right. yet Sewald is the incumbent. I've seen it reported that he's you know, going in with the leg up on, on the job. Uh, so while I do think Munoz is, like I said, the better reliever, I think the numbers tell you that, that if you have an incumbent who goes in with the first real shot at the job and that he may be the second best reliever in the bullpen, but he's still very good. It might not do anything to actually lose the job. So how, how do you see that Mariner situation? Um, I do have uh, Munoz with a, a projected 197 ERA and uh, a 37% strikeout rate. But I also have Paul Sewell with a 255 projected ERA and a 34% strikeout rate. So they're both just very good. And I think the usage uh, history uh, points at Paul Sewell, uh, honestly, because. I think they're totally comfortable with having a young guy, uh, maybe keeping him cheap uh, for arbitration or just, uh, you know, blow away the, the middle of the lineup in the seventh inning, whatever it is. They're, they seem very comfortable having uh, Andres Munoz as the, you know, emergency button reliever. You know, we need these outs right now. Uh, and having Paul Seawald be the guy who has a, a much more, uh, you know, knows when he's going to be in the game. He's a veteran, you know, uh, just a, a more uh, obvious and uh, regular role. Uh, you know, Munoz is the the, the fireman. Uh, that's how, that's how they were last year, and yeah. even in the playoffs, even in the playoffs, you know, there were times where they went to Seawald as the closer and Munoz as the tenth inning guy, and you know, and and guys and or the eighth inning guy. So, you know, they. I think that's that's why I'm betting on Seawald over Munoz. Not All right, necessarily well, because of stuff. Let's go to a similar situation and one that, by the way, came up on last Friday's episode with Greg Jewett. We talked about the twins. And again, you've got apparent co-closers. Actually, it seems like more of a co-closing situation with the twins than with the Mariners. You got one of the uh, the co-closers there. Uh, you got Yoan Duran, uh, but also Jorge Lopez went for for just $6. And that's a situation where Greg, he described that situation, you know, exactly the way you described the Mariners, that you have the more skilled guy who maybe is at a disadvantage because of past usage patterns and because of arbitration manipulation, basically. So what was your thinking in rostering Duran? Uh, for me, the difference between the distance between the two relievers is uh, is bigger. But uh, when you're comparing Jorge Lopez, uh, you know, like the distance between Paul Seawald and um, so I have Jorge Lopez as a three five eight ERA uh, guy with uh, a twenty four percent strikeout rate, um, and I have Joan Duran as a two forty eight ERA with a thirty two percent strikeout rate. So. It's a fairly that's a bigger difference, and I think he's just the better pitcher. Uh, there were some reports of Durant, of Lopez's velo being down the spring. Um, he hasn't been the healthiest guy in the past, and 
if there were 30 saves in Minnesota this year, I'm giving 20 to Duran. So, yeah. and uh, I'd like the idea of putting a guy that might even have like a sub two ERA for, you know, 60 innings on my squad. Uh, so that's, that was the thinking with him. I will have to say, I wasn't ex- super excited that Felix Bautista went for the same price as Duran, uh, like a couple of rounds later or mm-hmm. around later. That upset me because I assumed that Felix Bautista would go for 18 and that I had just saved three dollars with Duran. Yeah, and when they went for the same price, I would rather even have Felix Bautista at 16 than Duran at 15 because with Felix Bautista, it's very obvious that he's there, and I think some of these health things are temporary. Yeah. Well, and I hate it when that happens, you know, so I, I, I get that. It's, <laughs> it's so much of the, the auction dynamics. That's why I, I sort of hesitate to put too much weight on these uh, values, uh, these, you know, these winning bids uh, when they're close like that within a couple of dollars, because it so much can have to do with, you know, what at what portion of the, the draft you're in and who needs what. So uh, mm-hmm. don't want to put too much weight on, on any of that. Uh, I want to talk about another aspect uh, of the draft here, and that is, you know, rookies and players that maybe won't start the uh, the year in the major leagues. Grayson Rodriguez, I think, you know, probably has a, an excellent chance to be in the opening day rotation, but he went for $14. Anthony Volpe, five. Oscar Colas, four. Taj Bradley, two. So what was your thinking when, you know, those kinds of players came up, high-end prospects that maybe have a little bit of, of risk involved? Um, I, I, since I'm so focused on buying plate appearances and innings pitch, I don't usually buy, uh, those players. And, um, you know, I prefer uh, to take maybe take a shot in reserves or see if there's a dollar prospect. Um, so for me that ended up being like Addison Barger in reserves, uh, mm-hmm. just because, you know, middle eligible, middle infield eligibility for a team that, is veteran at the big league level and could get hurt, you know, and that would, that would create a space for Barger to come up. Uh, I know the team internally uh, left him out of uh, trade offers and uh, not necessarily untouchable, but not somebody they were trying to move. Um, and so uh, that seems to me that he's important to them. He's playing a lot in spring. Uh, that's the kind of stuff I'll do when you're actually using actual dollars. I mean, uh, tell me, tell me uh, again who you were talking about uh, in particular. Uh, all right. Well, really, I had a whole list: uh, Grayson Rodriguez, Anthony Volpe, Oscar Colas, yeah. uh, Taj Bradley. Probably have left one or two others out, but those were the ones that struck yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, like Volpe, for example. Um, I mean, he's he does have time, and he's it is at a position of need. Uh, but he went for five dollars uh, just to. Uh, like, you know, talk about some players that went for uh, $5 that I had, like even on his own team, Oswaldo Cabrera went for $3 mm-hmm. and I think might have more playing time. Uh, Josh Donaldson went for $4 is probably going to have more playing time. Um, you know, who's another, uh, another $5 player, um, Brandon belt, you know, uh, you know, so th- these are guys that, you know, are going to be, uh, are going to be playing. Leo Tavares went for $4, you know? So uh, there's there a lot has to go right for Anthony Volpe to be worth more than Leone Tavares this year. I will you know tell you, I mean? like, yeah, 
Now, I was just going to say, my, my reaction in seeing that price is I wonder if there was some Yankees inflation. It just seems like in whatever league you're in, I don't, I'm not well, looking at a, who actually took Volpe. It's a big Volpe, prize, but. like starting shortstop for the Yankees. Yeah. You assume good runs in RBI. It's a good park. You know, you, you assume that that's a, a, a big prize. But I do think sometimes our eyes get big at this what could go right oh my gosh it could go right and then i'd win the league you know that's a little <laughs> bit how you end up i think with glass now and Degrom on the same roster where you're just like oh but if it goes right and it's like, okay but yeah. you know safe and steady does uh win the race a lot yeah well uh and i thought barger on, on your part was an interesting choice because it's you know a similar type of speculation but but much more cheaply i was sort of surprised to see colton Kowser uh not get drafted among that group yeah. and uh, um just a little bit of uh shameless self-promotion here so i recently wrote a piece for the athletic seven projected everyday hitters who i think could either lose their job or at least lose a substantial number of plate appearances. I think Austin Hayes is one of those players and Kowser's a big reason why. I mean, if he gets promoted uh, at some point in the season, who's going to make way? Hayes to me looks like the most reasonable, most likely candidate. Um, yeah. I mean, there are projections uh, for Hayes that are below, uh, below average and he's not going to add uh, a lot of value with the glove. Um, and so, you know, the, I think the problem was that there was a bet in this league on Kyle Stowers, uh, being maybe the guy who gets the first chance. And there is a certain amount of, um, order to things where, you know, uh, the older prospect who's closer to, uh, having, you know, being out of options and that sort of stuff, they have to get the chance first. You have to know if Kyle Stowers is worth anything before you can move on to Kowser. You know what I mean? Like, True. Yeah. Uh, there's like, there's like roster rules and also just sometimes like, um, order of point of order, just like how things work so that other prospects know, okay, I will get my chance. This is an yeah. organization that gives everybody a chance in, in a certain order. Um, and so I think Stowers, I think there was a bet in the draft room that Stowers was going to be maybe next in line. And uh, that was enough for people to kind of stay off of, of Kowser. Okay. Well, yeah, I think that, that logic certainly makes sense. So well, let's uh, put the focus on your team, you know, defending champs, although obviously different roster. And so you've already mentioned uh, Jose Ramirez, uh, your $40 buy. You also mentioned Mullins, who you got at 28. Shane McClanahan will be the, the anchor of your rotation at $26. And Jeremy Pena, 20. I think those are your 20 plus guys. So that's why I thought, okay, this is a kind of down the middle uh, approach here. Um, but going into the, the mid range, Ramon Laureano, I thought was interesting at $13 and you and I talked a couple weeks back about the new rules and the impact on stolen bases. I don't think Laureano was a player who came up then. And I saw him on your roster and thought, you know, I think he got a raw deal in terms of power last year. He's got some raw power that didn't totally translate in the, in the surface stats. Does he become a 20 steel guy, a potential 2020 player with the new rules? Yeah, there's something about the way the A's are stacking up that I'm wondering if they're just going to be the go-go A's. Like, you know, you've got Ruiz there. Uh, Blade's got some speed. Nick Allen, Tony Kemp are the projected starters up the middle. Uh, they don't have a lot of things going for them other than speed. <laughs> um, and uh, I don't think you worry too much about running into an out in front of Seth Brown. I mean, literally, Seth Brown is 
the biggest slugger on this team. Um, and so uh, I don't think you say, oh, I don't want to take the hat, bat out of Seth Brown's hands. I think you say, no, oh, maybe if I'm on second, Seth Brown can knock me in, you know. So uh, I uh, I thought that the team situation, I also just know, like personally from speaking with Ramon Laureano and just how it's gone in the past for Oakland, he's going to try and play his way out of Oakland. Like, that's like, I don't even have to tell you that I talked to him about this, right? Like, it's very obvious, right? Like, oh, Ramon Laureano, he's the last veteran on this team. They're not going to, they're not ready to be good yet. You know, he's going to be a free agent uh, in uh, 2026. So if they trade him this year, they actually can sell him as a guy who has a couple years and going to be cheap for a couple years. He's only going to be paid uh, uh, $3.5 million this year. So he could totally, like a contender that needs outfield, needs speed, and uh, is close to luxury tax, could totally add him. So uh, I see him as being motivated. And that's also from conversations just – He's motivated to get out of there, so uh, he's. I think he could play well. And then he just represents a good bounce-back opportunity in that last year was his worst year all around, and he had a an established track record. He's 28, so I'm not asking a 33-year-old to bounce back. I'm asking a guy in his prime to bounce back. Um, and all those things to combined led me to think uh, this is the best way for me to shore up my steals. I think... Uh, getting my steals from Loriano, Kiermeyer, Mullins, Pena, and Ramirez, I think I got enough. Um, and uh, sometimes I'm behind on steals, so I tried to kind of overshoot the mark a little bit. And I think I've got 100 plus. I usually go for like 80 plus, and I'm trying to bake in the fact that there would be, you know, 20% more steals in baseball this year. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. All right. Well, we've talked about uh, some players on the high end with just one middle uh, middle range player. We've talked about some of your dollar players that you got. How do you feel about the draft overall? How do you feel coming out of it? Uh, what uh, pl- what buys did you really like? Were there any you didn't like? Um, I think uh, given what people were spending on middle infield, uh, the fact that I got Jeremy Pena for 20 and J.P. Crawford for five uh, made me feel good about uh, making sure I have uh, starting players at those positions. Um, And Pena, I think actually Pena and Crawford both offer a little upside in that Crawford makes great contact, uh, has a good play to play, play approach. 
uh, has some speed and, uh, you know, trained at driveline in the offseason. And, you know, if he added any bat speed, if he had just added any bit of power, he would we would think of J.B. Crawford differently, I think. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think there's some upside there. And then Jeremy Payne is a young player that, you know, could play better next year. So um, I, I, I like that. Um, my corner infield situation I'm not as excited about because – what I identified uh, a, a bunch of players that go b- below their values traditionally at first base, and they did end up doing that. Um, and so you see players uh, down uh, lower, like Jared Walsh, uh, but I have Jared Walsh, Nate Lowe, uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Brandon Belt, uh, Jose Miranda, uh, Ty France, Josh Naylor, and Josh Bell all going for less than their values in my sheet. And I saw that going in, uh, that that was going to be an opportunity. What instead happened was I got Nate Lowe for $4 less than my sheet, which sounds like, yay, I got him less for $4 less than my sheet. I could have gotten Josh Naylor for $3 less than the sheet, and he would have been $14. Now, if I would gotten Josh Naylor for $14, who's a pull-everything lefty that could benefit from these rules... Uh, then I would have had more money and I could have got Juan Mancata instead of Spencer Torkelson at mm. corner infield. And I'm super nervous about Spencer Torkelson at, at corner infield. I hate that pick. It is the pick I hate the most in the draft of my draft. I have s- so much riding on Spencer Torkelson and it sucks. I don't have any reason that I've looked in his numbers to be positive about what he's doing this year. He's not playing well in spring. I do think he'll get opportunity. That's good. But I tried to cover my ass a little bit by taking Nick Maton in reserves because he's corner corner, uh, eligible Mm -hmm. and Framil Reyes in reserves. He's not corner eligible yet, but I'm hoping he plays some first base. Uh, and and get some corner eligibility and or becomes a player an everyday player and I can maybe trade him for a corner because I'm already worried about corner because of Spencer Torkelson. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I, that, that Spencer Torkelson for ten was my my worst buy, I think. Okay, yeah, and you know, sometimes we just get boxed in where yeah we have to fill and and in a, in a mono league. Uh, you know, sometimes you're just left with choices that you don't like. Uh, let's just focus on your pitching a little bit since we haven't talked too much about that. So, again, you've got McClanahan. Uh, you've also got Jeffrey Springs, Nathan Navaldi, Kyle Bradish, um, Spencer Turnbull, and uh, Shintaro Fujinami. And we've talked about a, a few of those pitchers on past episodes as being kind of your guys, like Bradish, Fujinami, uh, Turnbull, Blackburn. You got Paul Blackburn as a uh, reserve round uh, pitcher. And then we talked about the fact that you got Yoan Duran for $15. And then the remainder of your relievers were pitchers who more profiles like long guys. So was that an intentional thing? Um, is that something you looked to do going in or was it more like, well, the, the saves dry up quick quickly. So let's get ratios and, and bulk innings. Um, what I, I think, uh, I don't know if I'm right, but what I think I correctly uh, identified from the beginning was that the NL uh, pitching pool has um, uh, more top-heavy. you got mm-hmm. Strider, Woodruff, Verlander, Scherzer. Like, you got all these guys, and it's amazing. And, you know, Sandy Alcantara, it's, you know, Alcantara is it's so great. And in the AL, you've got Garrett Cole, 
and Shane McClanahan. And then it starts to kind of like, you know, oh, am I going to do? And so I thought going in, maybe I'm going to do like Luis Castillo and Christian Javier and like get them both for like 20-ish dollars. Mm-hmm. Because there aren't as many top guys, Christian Javier went for like 26 or something. And I was like, well, yeah. oh, crap. Like uh, <laughs> that that's out the window. Oh, Luis Castillo went for 26. And I was like hoping to get him for 24 or 22 or 3. So I was like, oh, well, that plan goes out the window. I had Shane McClanahan for 29. And I got him for 26. And... I was like, that's cool. But the rest of my plan was always to wait because the middle of the AL is okay. And yeah. I think the D, the DH was a big sort of, okay, the whole playing pool, you know, the whole player pitcher pool, it's all equal, you know, now. And, uh, and so, you know, pe- middle AL pitchers used to be, people were afraid of them because of the DH and like, you know what I mean? Like they're right, going to get yeah. blasted. With the new ball and the and the DH being in both leagues, I was just like, you know what, I'm fine. Springs, you know, Eovaldi, he I got him for a discount. It was obviously the injured player discount. He's not injured yet. He's throwing you know 96 plus in camp, and that's that's good enough for me. But I was like, I'm hoping for 120 innings. You know, I'm hoping for like 150 from Springs. I'm hoping for 180 from Shane McClanahan. I'm hoping for 140 from Bradish. So like I bought my innings and they were innings that I, that I was like, when these players are pitching, I think they're going to be good. You know, mm-hmm. my model says they're going to be good. They, none of them are Garrett Cole. And I, I kind of wish I just went the extra dollar on Garrett Cole, but I think I got enough innings together uh, with this crew and all of them have roles in rotations to begin the season. None of them are hurt yet. So that was the point. And in reserve, I got Paul Blackburn, Zach Greinke and Mitch White, who are all either fifth or sixth starters uh, who pitch uh, Blackburn and Greinke in particular pitch in parks that are great. Um, that, you know, so I could, I, it, it, labor has these weird rules where you can only have a guy in reserve. If you draft him in reserves, yeah. Anyway, I can kind of stream Granky and Blackburn. Okay. I can put them in when they're home and then reserve them again because I bought them in reserves. And that's super, super valuable. So I expect to get maybe, you know, 50 to 75, maybe even 100 innings combined from Blackburn and Granky uh, by doing that. So um, the, the reliever strategy, I just think Ronaldo Lopez is going to close. I think he's better than uh, than Kendall Graveman, and I think he's better suited for it because he's more of a strikeout pitcher. And I know I've said on this podcast that I think Jonathan Loizaga is maybe the handcuff for Clay Holmes yeah. and that I've been nervous about Clay Holmes being a one-pitch pitcher against lefties. Michael King is really good, and I'm not sure if he's necessarily the handcuff or if he's just going to steal some two-inning saves or steal some wins. But I kind of just see him as like the Chad Green air. Yeah. It's like this guy's just going to have really good ERA, pitch a bunch of innings, and and get me a bunch of wins and maybe a couple saves. Like he's going to have more than $2 value at the end of the year, I'm pretty sure. So I was just like, you know, that's glue. He's, he's, my, he's my stretch glue guy. You know, he's the, he's the guy I needed. And uh, uh, I, I think that serves me better than, than throwing another dart at someone who might be a little bit more likely to close than Michael King. I just was like, this, Michael King is good. That's what I wanted to know. 
That's yeah. I I, I like that, um, and I hadn't thought, been thinking about King that way, but I, I like that way of thinking about him. Uh, that you know he could fill multiple roles, but kind of almost the worst case scenario is that he's the Chad Green type. And I, I liked getting Chad Green in Ale only and in deeper leagues. There's there was value there. There was innings. Good. Yeah, innings. I preferred to get him for one, but yeah. you know at the end you're. I think that might have been one of my last. I think I might have just jumped in him and just spent my last two dollars or something. But it was. It, I didn't. I didn't regret the going to two on him. Uh, I know that I am different from the industry. On uh, Kyle Bradish, that has more supporters. There's a bunch of supporters for Kyle Bradish. I'm not the only one. Um, and uh, Spencer Sternbull is not actually sort of like a model thing. It's just like, hey, he pitches in Detroit and he was good and he's healthy now. You know, right. like uh, I'm cool with that. Uh, Shintaro Fujinami is not somebody that pops in our model because we don't have stuff plus for him. He pops in a theoretical model in my head, which is I watch him and I'm pretty sure it's high stuff. You know, <laughs> like I can't wait until he pitches in front of the machine. We'll have some spring training stuff numbers for you shortly. But, um, you know, uh, I, I, I think it's high stuff and obviously it's poor command, but they promised him a slot in the rotation. It's Oakland. It's a great park to pitch in. And I've got him for a dollar. So that one's a very that's my prospect. You know what I mean? That's my <laughs> yeah. like. That's my like shot in the dark, you know, like, I don't know, maybe $1. Yeah. And if he doesn't work out, I can, what I can do, what I've, what I've set myself up with, with Paul, Paul Blackburn and Greinke is I can drop Shintaro Fujinami and pitch Blackburn and Greinke alternately in that spot. And if both of them are uh, on the road or have bad matchups or I don't want to pitch them, buy a $1 reliever and throw them in there for a couple you know, weeks. And then, oh, Blackburn's at home against you know, the Rangers or whatever. Yeah, I'm throwing him. You know? So uh, I, I'm hoping that was my plan. It was a, sort of a three-way plan. Fujinami, Blackburn, and Granke all sort of giving me one okay pitcher. All right. Well, uh, this is going to segue me into the last uh, set of things I want to ask you about, which is that, you know, not everybody that's watching or listening uh, plays in a mono league. And what you're talking about there with having a plan for the back end of your rotation, I think that's something that's valuable for all of us, regardless of what kinds of leagues we play in. Uh, Were there other things that you could take away from this draft, um, whether it's this one or, you know, years past that you feel uh, provides useful takeaways for uh, those of us who play more in mixed leagues? Well, you know, there's the obvious like uh, injury premium. One thing I did notice was um, there were so many different strategies in in this draft that uh, there was no real, oh, this is where the value is Mm -hmm. sort of moment where you could be like, like there almost wasn't like one takeaway. Like for example, there's always value at the end of the draft where you get like a four dollar player for one dollar. That that happens all the time, sure. and that happened in this draft. Four dollar, uh, four maybe five dollar Bailey Ober for a dollar. Uh, I got a five dollar Kiermaier for a dollar. Um, you know, there, but there's fewer of them than I thought. That was it. That was the list of one dollar guys for five that that were worth five dollars or more. Uh, but you know, there were also guys, um, that, uh, went for, uh, you know, three, four, five that were worth more than that. But the, you know, the strategy of like, oh, I'm going to save some money and then I'm going to get all these values at the end. 
so many people were doing that that there weren't there weren't there weren't, there weren't <laughs> these like super obvious pockets of value. It was uh, so I was very aggressive and went out in, in the beginning and just got the players I wanted for the most part, mm-hmm. and then had to sit back. And I had this long list of outfielders uh, to choose from, and I got sniped on some of them. Like you know, I wanted Robbie Grossman. Uh, you know, to, to pair with my Matt Beerling. Uh, I thought I would, might get Gavin Sheets or Jake Myers, so, you know, guys or JJ Bleday, guys that would, uh, that would fall into, might fall into everyday roles. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I got, my plan worked. I got players slightly different than I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, you know, and then I saw a really interesting uh, we had a class in session with Errol Cohen who taught us about um, uh uh, auction strategies and i think if you want some takeaways that if you're in, in your next auction you want to think about it when the auction is hot and people are over your values you just want to buy someone that is over your values less and when the auction is cold and people are going for undervalues you want to you want to buy as much as possible and that's a like the, that's a pretty uh, easy takeaway rule um, and I tried to follow it, uh, but, um, you know, it's not always easy to, to execute every plan. Um, but, you know, those are just some things I was thinking about. There's, there is an obvious, in, in a two-catcher AL-only league, there's an obvious premium on uh, catchers. So I ended up with Jonah Heim and Mike Zeno at my value. I didn't pay any extra. But I also have, uh, you know, one of the worst catching tandems <laughs> in the league. So, uh, you know, you get what you pay for. Which is quite an achievement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, there's premiums on speed, there's premiums on health, and there's premiums on catchers. If you're going to go into a mono league, uh, those are things that will probably be true in your in your uh, auction that you're about to do. All right. Well, that's great stuff. And yeah, your point is also well taken that, you know, Ariel's advice is great, but if you do wind up being really aggressive early, then it's, it's kind of hard to get all those players that are going at a discount later. But what you're approaching, you know, where you said, you know, you, you went aggressive early on a few players, but then you just sat back. I have found that when I've done that, that's usually when I wind up with my best teams. So uh, but every, every auction is different and that's uh, always important to remember. It's a, Sometimes I have there, way there too no... much riding on Isak Paredes and Spencer Torgelson uh, to, to get comfortable. So <laughs> 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 we'll, we'll see how this goes. I don't, I'm not predicting a repeat, but uh, uh, but it was it was fun nonetheless. And and if you haven't done an auction, uh, I recommend it. They're they're a bit of a bear in terms of like you're you're tired at the end of it. You're physically oh, yeah. exhausted from thinking so hard. Uh, but it is a cool combination of trying to understand uh like it's a little pokerism where you're like you know you're trying to see tells and you're trying to understand what people are trying to do with their drafts but you're also really focused on your team and what you were trying to do um and you're just you're thinking about a lot of different things at the same time uh it's super enjoyable and this league in particular we've been playing together uh you know for uh, 10 11 12 years uh a lot of the same players and so uh i kind of you kind of know tendencies and you're like, Oh, that was such a Jason Collette buy or like, (laughs) Oh, totally a Larry Schechter buy. So, uh, that, that part, uh, adds joy to it over time. 
yeah, that's just such a, a great part why, you know, why we do this because you play in these leagues for years and you get to know people and uh, it's a really, really fun part of it. So, uh, well, we've got more drafts coming up, of course, things are still sort of on the early side here. So uh, with, with that said, uh, just a reminder that uh, if you want to reach out to us for questions before your upcoming drafts, you can send us an email at ratesandbarrels at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter. Eno is at Eno Saris. I'm at Al Melchior BB. And you can also just uh, ask us questions here uh, on YouTube. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, ask in the comments section. So lots of ways to reach us with uh, with all of your questions. And uh, you know, check out uh, Eno's work uh, and and the whole team's work here at the Athletic uh, in the uh, in the draft kit. So uh, with that said, uh, uh, good luck in your upcoming drafts, and we will be back here again on Tuesday. Yeah, we've got a. Uh, I'm traveling, so it's going to be a weird schedule. Uh, I think you're going to hear. Uh, uh, a guest uh, from uh, w- with Chris Welsh on the on the prospect show. Uh, we've got an interview banked uh, for Thursday uh, with Driveline uh, director of pitching Chris Langan that I'm really excited about. There's I think that might set people thinking on a lot of different uh, pathways. And uh, then on Friday uh, I'll be back uh, uh, for a regular show with you. So uh, thanks for listening. Yeah.